0: The Decameron: A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode nineteen: Ne'er Can Truly Borrowed Be. She wants to go home, Jack said simply when he met up with Lucas and Isabel two days after his meeting with Mara. Don't we all? Assuming we have one to go to, Isabel replied, but travel is pretty difficult right now for everyone. Lucas was excited. She made a mistake and didn't leave an escape route, and that means, magic or not, she's not necessarily a whole lot more powerful than we are. But... She has magic, Isabel persisted, which she doesn't seem to be able to use here, at least not in the app, Jack continued, careful not to actually name Moot. I think we need to ask ourselves why that is, Jack went on. Other than the text-based virtual nature of this world, something is keeping her in check. Spells should be easy to effect here. "'Words that act on the imagination to produce believed, if not believable, effects through programming if people opt to play along? That's all this place is, really.' "'So what's stopping her?' Isabel asked she's not the main power here she doesn't make the rules here and she isn't accustomed to obeying rules set down by others because she sees them as a waste of her time lucas said she expects people to respond to her in particular ways when they do which is most of the time she doesn't bother with logic or cause and effect or consequences she doesn't have to And the app isn't behaving like a predictable mortal, Isabel put in. Anything but, Jack thought ruefully to himself. She's not exempt from the laws of the natural world, except the immortality thing, right? Though admittedly, that's a pretty big thing. If you're going to have a one-trick pony, I guess a fire-breathing ironclad warhorse would be the one to have, Jack mused. One-trick what? Lucas asked. Isabel explained. Oh, Lucas replied, linguistic enlightenment dawning as he mentally filed that phrase away for future use. Anyways, in the stories that I know, the only time she makes mistakes is when she miscalculates someone's reaction, when she threatens the hero and he tells her to mind her manners and get him some food, for example, and then doesn't change how she treats him after that. "'as someone with courage to be reckoned with. "'Or when she thinks he has acted in a certain way "'because he's stupid and needs to be shown "'how to behave like a proper subordinate. "'Then she winds up being, how you say, "'hosted by her own Picard.' "'Jack and Isabel both laughed. "'What did I say wrong?' Lucas asked, mildly aggrieved. "'Jack explained.' The phrase is hoist with his or her own petard, and the reference is Shakespeare, not Star Trek. It refers to a saboteur, for example, who gets blown up by his own devices. A petard is a small bomb, so it's like someone's plans backfiring on them. Yes, that's the word I wanted, Lucas confirmed happily. Oh, and she's not immortal, by the way, he added offhandedly. She's not? Jack asked incredulously. "'Nope,' Lucas replied. "'It's just the stories people have always told about her "'keep her alive. "'She, how you say, has lots of hit points "'and takes lots of damage. "'But her stories give her a reset "'because she's always existed in a time and place "'where people, where the very place itself, "'knows about her and believes in her. "'Here, now, maybe not so much.' And where she has always been able to influence just about any mortal, the app seems immune to her mm, charms, and we'd better all stay that way. She seems to have done okay on the influence front, quite the little empire online here and there, and I suspect her reach is greater than her actual presence. Oldy-worldy advice and wisdom, all bump to people like me, said Isabel. but I can see where many would find her compelling. But do you think I'm in danger because the app mentioned my real name in the context of my story? That's a bit of a worry. A lot of one, actually. I never used an alias. It may give her more to mess with in your general direction, but she's not the most subtle person. I'm kicking myself for not letting her mislead herself that there was an actual veil or valley between the worlds rather than a more metaphorical barrier she'd be running all over the place looking for it and we might find the misdirection useful Jack said it's not ideal Lucas agreed that she knows your name or thinks she does but like you say Isabel we've got your back keep telling your story and we'll be there. The audience met again in front of the crossed panels of the mirror, but at the start of Isabel's tale, the mirror was described as transforming into a set of intersecting gossamer curtains that seemed to be lightly printed, really embroidered and woven, with manuscript illustrations, shifting text and marginalia, as if from a bestiary that promised to change as the tale was told. Lucas and Jack were charmed. Mara was so alert she was driven almost to distraction. Was this the veil? The staging was Rosamond's idea, and she helped Isabel to weave it into her setting. She knew that Isabel loved medieval manuscripts and felt some affinity with fantastical creatures, and she'd heard about Jack's little talk with Mara. Some souls, the gentlest tales wrapped in gossamer, Rosamond reflected. Others, such as they were, deserve to get stuck and stew for a bit. Adland bids you welcome. I will continue my tale tonight and you will see aspects of the story not reflected back at you, but rather you will see perhaps just beyond the veils here something of the story that remains hidden to your fellow listener while they see something you do not. The Laird's daughter visited John in his cursed transformation as often as she could, not caring what state he was in whenever she arrived, since the surety of a beast by day, a man by night, or vice versa, was not a grace the spell granted him. In his human form, John had confessed that her stepmother had tried to seduce him and cursed him to a life of unpredictable transformation when this failed. On her visits, Isabel brought with her certain possessions that she valued or that she might sell in the future, thinking that her father and his wife would be disinclined to give her a dowry or leave her much of an inheritance, especially if they had other children. Her brother was another matter, but he was at the King's court. He would never help her willingly either, but, the girl reflected, he was probably a match for his stepmother. She had no idea at first that her thoughts were so prescient, or that her stepmother had designs on her brother once her father died. In his human form, Jack asked her to bring him some tools, and he carved her a chest as a gift. It was a simple thing, but he made it all himself and was proud that part of him still mastered honest work and craft. He kept the chest for her in his cave, and when it was done she placed in it a necklace with a pendant of a twisted dragon doubled on itself in a symbol of eternity that had been her mother's; some fine infant's clothing that her mother had sewn and embellished, that Isabel had worn when she was small; her mother's book of hours, a ring, a sword, and an exquisitely wrought belt. The book necklace, and clothing she would never part with, for these were the last things she had of her mother's, the other items she would sell or trade as needed, to secure what future she could. One day, though, the fair Isabel of our tale came to John in mid-transformation. At these betwixt times she had always hidden away, because John told her that once he watched himself change in a pool of water, forcing himself to look, despite the pain and horror of it, until the spell was done, so that he knew what manner of beast he became when the man was exiled. When Isabel saw him changing, she screamed and he turned and slashed at her, being fully neither self he knew. The blood ran down her arm. She washed it in the stream and dressed it with her torn sleeve, but when John had the power of speech again, he told her to leave him. She asked him, as one last favor to guard the chest he made and its contents, since she couldn't carry the chest back to her father's house, even empty, and she couldn't be sure that her few precious and valuable things wouldn't be confiscated. He agreed and watched her go, tears of shame filling his eyes for the hurt he caused her and the loss they both suffered. As she told her story... Different scenes played across the translucent tapestries as her audience watched and listened. Mara wondered whether the veil she needed to find was not this one, but like this, like the pages of an old book, a design she had to enter or effect. She'd need to talk with this princess Adelind on her own as well. Perhaps she held part of the puzzle to getting out of here, even as Jack brought up the idea of a veil while babbling on about his vagabond relative. Veils could be easily torn. Sensing Mara's momentary distraction somehow, Isabel fell silent. Lucas and Jack immediately asked publicly why the tale had stopped. She resumed. When his daughter returned home, her father looked at her injury— and so influenced by his heartless bride as to always think the worst of her he accused her of some misadventure with a lover if you would play as one base-born and rough you shall live as such he screamed and banished her seeing this as permission Her stepmother put a comforting arm around the sobbing girl's shoulders until they had turned into a corridor out of the father's sight. Then she dragged her away to a crag above the outcrop on which her father's stronghold sat. Her stepmother tied her to a wind-battered tree and cursed her. The girl's hair grew long and bound her more securely than any chains. Her body lengthened and became covered in roughened scales her breath and skin were both venomous no wings worm her mother called gaily wouldn't want you to fly away you shall remain in this form until the king's son comes over the sea and kisses you thrice of his own free will that's what it will take to borrow to change thee and so thou canst never truly borrowed be and since the king's only heir is now his foster son your brother it's perfect "'So great is your brother's fame, I'm sure killing a dragon will only add to his glory. "'He hates you, you know. I shall ask his father to call him home.'" A description of the stepmother's deceit played out in the different parts across the silken screens. The company gasped, including Mara, who admired the stepmother's perfidy incest or the implication of it was not her thing but mortal marriage was little more than the public acknowledgement of the inevitable outcome of lust with a little ritualized mumbling as far as she was concerned so who was she to criticize someone who turned her cap towards a stepson and to make him a rake and a murderer of his own flesh and blood into the bargain masterly There were only a few old stories from her old country that delved into that kind of darkness. Perhaps it was time to get reacquainted with them. Isabel pressed the hotkey, four of clubs, still her turn. Mara's normal jealousy when someone else had the floor evaporated. She was intrigued by this story as much as the others were. And when she talked to the princess alone, she would ask ever so sweetly whether she had a brother Yvonne pleads you can't leave us hanging on the wind swept crag like this, my lady. Please go on if you can, lucas asked. Jack and Mara concurred if the story teller was up for the telling. Isabel agreed to finish her tale. The scar on her arm began to hurt, and her free hand went absent mindedly to the pendant at her throat. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.